Oil has really controlled the world economy in the last 100 years after the Industrial Revolution. I'm convinced the next 100 years, the world economy will be controlled by renewable energy. This is the Solar Disruption Theory. Welcome to season four of the Solar Disruption Theory podcast. It's an honor to be here. My name is Chad Towner. And uh, this, this season, we're going to mix things up a little bit. I'm going to be hosting several episodes. And normally on the other side of the wall um, would be typical thought leaders and guests from other companies. But to start this season off, we have brought in one of our own, our very own CEO, Brett Bushy from Freedom Forever. So Brett, I know you're normally the ones doing the interviews, but um, after several years of doing this and being in the industry and working with you, we felt that it was important and appropriate to bring you in and, and tell your story. So thank you, Brett, for joining. And uh, how you doing? You, you, look, you look more tan than I remember seeing you recently. What, what's going on? Well, C-Town, it's good to see you. <laughs> so I wanted to start off uh, by that. But um, yeah, I've been out uh, in the sun playing a little pickleball in the morning, and um, it's been a lot of fun. Pickleball. So, well, does that mean I get to call you B. Bush then? You can call me whatever okay. you'd like. <laughs> so pickleball, um, it's this phenomenon that you've gotten way into. Um, sounds like you had a successful morning, already feeling good. What's your record today? Something like 12-0, and 0, but who's counting? 12-0. <laughs> All right, well, so you're, you're way into pickleball. That's not why we brought you in, but... Um, you know, you, you definitely have a competitive side of you that uh, I've never seen in anybody else. So whether it's pickleball or ping pong or business, um, I, I'm used to watching you win at this point. And, th and that's why we wanted to bring you in. So, you know, you're the CEO of Freedom Forever, and I want to talk a lot about freedom and what you're doing right now. But before we get into any of that, I think it's important for people because I get to work with you every day. I've worked with you every day for the last three years and I spend a lot of time around you. But there are a lot of people in the solar industry that I think have noticed freedom and they're looking at what we're doing. And um, I bring a lot of people into the office. They meet you, you tell them your story and it's always very impactful, but that's only, that, that's limited to the amount of people that we can actually bring in the office and get in front of you. And so the hope for today is that we are able to take your story and make it more available to the masses. I think it's a, a very important story and I think everybody needs to hear it. And so um, I wanna kind of start at the beginning because I, I think it's all relevant. So, you know, you, you don't come from the solar industry, we'll get into that, but even further back, you, you were just a normal kid growing up in Arizona, middle class, like, what was your what was your upbringing like? I think it's important for everyone to really understand who Brett Bushy is and where he comes from. I'd probably say as a young child, we were probably lower middle class. And as I became a teenager, um, became more middle class. My uh, dad started his own business and uh, turned it into the largest transmission shop in the entire state of Arizona. And it's just amazing. Like he was a guy out there um didn't have a lot of schooling finished had a high school degree but he worked his butt off and i definitely get my drive and my work ethic from him so you got your drive you would say from your dad just observing him 
watching how he operates. And then fast forward, you know, high school and, and beyond your early days in, in business, you take that drive. And what were some of the first things that you did in business? I mean, you, you talk about how you did private equity for a long time and you invested in a lot of companies, but how did you get to that point where you were able to invest in other companies? Yeah, I became a stockbroker and um, it was one of those things as a stockbroker, I never really wanted to own my own company, but I was competitive. Um, I ended up doing pretty well and was always the top salesperson whatever at whatever firm I was at. And I just wanted to be left alone. And um, I just kept running into owners and managers that were taking, I felt advantage of me. And I ended up just saying, if you would just pay me and stay out of the way, I never would have started my own business. But it didn't work out that way. And um, I ultimately started my own company um, at a very, very young age in my early 20s. Uh, started to take companies public. Uh, I believe the first company I took public was when I was 24 years old. Uh, it was a company called Wholesome and Hearty Foods. They made a product called the Garden Burger and we did the initial public offering. And for 1993, it was the number one percentage gainer on the entire NASDAQ over-the-counter market. And it just kind of took off from there and then uh, took several other companies public. Um, and then there's something when you take a company public, you make money one of two ways. You get, um, you make the fees and the commissions on the transaction, on the capital you raise, but you also get something uh, called underwriter warrants. And the warrants were equity in the company at 120% of the IPO price. And I started realizing on my first company, I made about 10X the amount of money that I made on the warrants and the equity than I did um, on the commissions. So ultimately that kind of led me down a path of like, I should be investing my own capital into these companies. But at the time I'm still young and I didn't have the capital to be able to do that. And so I started a fund where I put in 2% of the uh, uh, capital and I brought investors for 98% of the capital, but I got 20% of the profits and the investors got 80%. And today it's called a hedge fund, but back then it was just an equity fund. And we did that and had uh, a lot of winners in terms of doing that. And you fast forward a few years and then I started to be blessed and lucky that I had enough capital to start investing just 100% of my own money, taking 100% of the risk. And I started doing that and one of the, first companies I made an investment into, um, the first company um, that I did that with was a company by the name of GumTech International. And we used gum as an alternative delivery system for vitamins, supplements, and nutrients. Uh, but the gentleman that we brought in who became the CEO, uh, Gary Kehoe, he, he was just a gum guru. He had um, over 50 patents on all of the bubble yum and Bubbleship, every single gum he patented all the flavors. Mm. And so he was a great guy. We recruited him. He had some equity in the company. He developed a product um, called Zycam. And Zycam reduces the common uh. cold. And uh, it was a very successful company. We took it public. Um, I sold my interest in the company and it was eventually sold to Wrigley. And it's still around today. Most people will have it um, you know, in their medicine cabinet. Yeah, I was I was sick over Christmas break and I used Zycam. So so that's 
That's fascinating. And, and that was one of how many companies would you say you either bought, invested in, or ran in the course of your career? There's about 28 companies in about seven different industries. And a lot of people look at my age. I'm 53 today. Um, but a lot of times I would have seven companies at once. That was kind of the maximum that I had. And, you know, I just realized when you have investments in the seven companies, I really didn't operate them day to day, but there was always a crisis. None of them were in the same city. Um, one was in Sao Paulo, Brazil. And so I was just on the road all the time. And I had a really terrible uh, work life balance and uh and that kind of led me you know into a chain of events where uh, you know in my late 20s uh i became a christian and it really changed how i looked at it and really changed um how i looked at life i started having a better work-life balance um a lot of people don't realize this because they know me today and i talk about you know being selfless and being a servant leader. But prior to me becoming a Christian, I was the most selfish human being out there. I was greedy. I was focused on myself. And, um, you know, my ethics weren't what they should be. And um, I was just always told, you know, as a kid, and I was kind of looked at the world as what was the definition of success? And, it was a house, a car, how much money you had, all those types of things. And, and, you know, it's a pretty sobering reality when you become 25, you have all those things, you're driving really nice cars, you have your own home, you paid cash for them, and you realize you're not happy. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, um, uh, you know, I was not a very good husband, I was not a very good father at the time. And ultimately I had to go in uh, to my now ex-wife and I had to tell her about all the transgressions that I made and I did that. And ultimately I felt a burden lifted on me and I felt that I was a new person, but ultimately there's still consequences of your sin. Just because you turn your life around doesn't mean you're going to ha not have hardships. And definitely, it was very, very difficult for her to get over. And uh, about seven years later, we finally got divorced. So, but I did turn around. I did turn into a very good husband and a very good father, uh, but there's still consequences for my actions, not only with my ex-wife, but also with my kids. I had three kids with her and I think it was a, a huge struggle for them. And, but ultimately that whole experience really did change my life. And uh, over the course of, from about 26 to 45, uh, I started to divest myself and have less investments. And I really wanted to do something more with my life. And I remember thinking that I had these investments and I kept doing well. And um, I would always make money because of the arbitrage between the private and public markets. And we were really good at myself and my team of going into a company, bringing in the accountants, the attorney, dressing it up, creating some new products and then selling it at a much higher valuation. But I really wasn't creating anything. I really wasn't operating anything. And I really started to change as I got into my forties and I started realizing I wanted to make more of a societal impact. And so um, I, in 2015, 
Um, I only had one company left and it was a partnership. I owned 50% of the company with another um, group and it was the guys, Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley and Kiss. Oh, from Kiss, yeah. And um, I sold my interest in that and uh, I was looking at going to seminary and I was gonna become a pastor. I really wanted to make more of an impact and I felt that the only way I could do that is to get outside of business. Mm -hmm. And I remember my wife and I were talking and she's like, I just am not that excited about being a pastor's wife. I know, you're, you know you'll do a great job as a pastor, you'll make an impact, but I just wasn't that excited. She goes, couldn't you find an industry where you could really make a difference in that industry? Um, and you can make the societal impact that you really wanna do. I mean, that's what it's about. You wanna make more of an impact. Can't you find an industry that does something that's amazing? And I said, sounds great, but what industry like is what? that? Yeah. And within a few days, I had two of my closest friends approach me and one said, hey, I'm getting into the solar business. Another one at his 50th birthday party said, um, he is an, he's an investor and buys land in the Bahamas. And one of the okay. biggest problems in the Bahamas is the cost of electricity. And um, there really is off the grid when you get into the Bahamas, there's 365 islands. And he said, renewable energy is our future. He goes, if you could do anything, if I could do anything and have a complete blank slate like you, I would get into renewable energy. And so I remember going back from Vegas from his party and um, on Monday I Googled solar energy. And I started, you know, reading the 10 Qs and the 10 Ks of Solar City, all the publicly traded companies, Sun Edison at the time. And I'm like, this is amazing. But what really triggered me was, is I ran across um, a um, documentary called An Inconvenient Truth, all right? Um, that was a documentary that was created by Al Gore. And it was around climate change. And remember, I'm a Republican through and through. And so um, I went in very skeptical that Al Gore did it, but I watched yeah. it and I remember I finished it and I prayed and I went to sleep that night and I'm like, this is what I was meant to do. This is what I'm gonna spend the rest of my business career and the rest of my life. My legacy will always be my five boys, my grandkids and my current wife, Brandy, but my business legacy needs to be something different than this and there was no doubt in my mind at that point it was going to be solar and so um, I went out hired a consultant I looked at about five different EPCs I knew I wanted to buy an existing company and I ran into a gentleman uh, by the name of Greg Albright and I just knew that at the time um, it was something that we would be good partners I am not an easy person to be partner with so um, I'm very opinionated, I'm very driven. Um, I don't want the other person to have the same expectation that I have of myself. And a lot of times I partner with people and they really struggle with that. So I knew it had to be the right person. And we just, we just clicked from the very beginning. And you know we were kind of off and running. I bought a stake in uh, the company in uh, 2015, uh, soon thereafter. Um, I bought a majority stake in the company and uh, the company at the time was doing about 1.7 million in revenue and we've just grown exponentially over the last seven and a half years and uh, this year um, we're 
you know, our goal is to hit $2 billion in revenue for 2022. Wow. All right. So let me try and let me try and recap that. So you very traditional business investing, private equity, starting to run your own companies, taking them public, went through a, a life changing moment where you decided that life wasn't all just about money and what everyone else had told you, but it was actually about making an impact and helping people. Um, fast forward to 2015, you get a few weird things happen that show you that, hey, there's this growing renewable energy business. You decide that's what you want to get into. And you find Greg Albright, you invest in Freedom, very, very small company at the time. Today, we're trying to do $2 billion in revenue. How did we get to that point? So, so seven years ago, you invest in Freedom, you get involved, and there's been a lot of growth, a lot of doubling since then. And we'll talk about you know where we want to go, but that, that that is not an easy thing to do. Did you get a bunch of other private equity? Did you did did Freedom borrow a bunch of money? Like, how does Freedom grow as fast as it has grown, and uh, see the success that it has seen in the last seven years? Yeah, I'm very proud uh, of the fact that we have not taken on any private equity or any debt. Um, it's just about a methodical you know, growth process. And it's about um, building a culture of servant leadership. Um, we have been blessed and lucky enough to have added some incredible people. You're one of them. Um, you know, there's too many to name. And uh, it's just really been an incredible ride. Um, but I would say that an important step uh, was creating process. One of the things that I realized in this industry is there's not a lot of business professionalism and competency. And I know that sounds condescending for our industry, but I believe most of the people that have been successful have been contractors and contractors don't, are not your average normal businessman. And so we were able to come in, create process. We had a, uh, a superstar by the name of Val Roses who came in Probably in 2016, she was really young and she wrote our first standard operating procedure. And that was how to write a standard operating procedure. That's a true story. And uh, Val kind of came in and we got to the point that we had 1300 uh, standard operating procedures, as we call SOPs. And in doing that, um, it was great. But as we started to scale and I tried to unpack a lot of the other companies that had gotten um, large and that have had to scale back or even failed or have unwound for a variety of different reasons, which is what happened with Solar City. I just tried to look at what happened. And one of the things that I came to the conclusion is that we needed to build an intuitive uh, software that was built off of the post-sale operational experience. And um, about three and a half years ago, we hired a gentleman by the name of Zach Bloom, and he put together an incredible team of 40 software engineers and they have created a software that we now call Lightspeed. But a lot of times, so many people are focused on the sales aspect of solar or creating a software to make it easier to sell in the home. 
But the real issue is no one can get stuff installed and no one is able to scale and be able to be efficient at installs. And so we looked at it at a completely different lens is that we had to build the software around a project and try to build the software where every single project is a construction project that is unique is not simple. And right. so there was a lot of logic. Um, uh, Zach and his team probably spent the first year and a half just learning our business. And right. those guys know our business, Rob Richardson, they know our business probably better than we do. Yeah. Like, and, uh, and they figured out a way to put it in a software and automate so many things because, you know, really the issue is not about doing 2 billion in 2022 is that we need to be the company that helps accelerate the rate of residential solar adoption so we can have an impact on climate change here in the US. So, and the harsh reality, we can look back and pat ourselves on the back with the success that we've had, but it's not fast enough. We have to create a system and we have to become 50% market share in the next three years. But most importantly, we have to grow the amount of homes that have solar from 4%. It's embarrassing to me that one out of 25 homes in the US have solar. That number should be 50%. That means as an industry, we are going to have to grow by 12.5 times. And you have to create good companies that can scale. And you know, you know, there's only a couple of other companies that even have a sliver of a chance to scale outside of us. And no one, I believe, has built a software that is 100% focused on operations. And this will give us a significant advantage going forward. All right, so so what you're endeavoring to do is a massive undertaking. You're trying to scale nationwide construction. Every single home is different. Every roof is different. So it's custom scaled construction. You mentioned some of the other companies that you know have grown really fast and then they either went out of business or, you know, merged with another company or just wound down that entire division. What were some of those pitfalls or mistakes that you think other people have made that Freedom is not making? Or what, what's different about Freedom that is going to help us get to that 50% market share? Because that's, that's a massive goal. No one has the software that we built, okay. but I don't believe any other company had 1,300 standard operating procedures before that. I think that's the biggest problem. And then the company that had the most success was SolarCity. And uh, that wasn't a company that failed. That was a company that chose to scale back how they sell solar. Um, I think looking back, it was a mistake, but ultimately, um, you know, you look at what Elon and Tesla's done and you look at the valuation of the company, maybe it was the smartest thing because it enabled right. them to focus on the cars. But ultimately, yeah. Solar City was a success story. And a lot of the senior manager, the managers on operations are here at Freedom. And so they have also, you know, created this incredible ability for us to scale. So and it's exciting. And we have incredible partners like uh, Sunrun and Mosaic. Um, several years ago, we had great partners like Sunlight and Lone Pal that definitely played a role in the Freedom Story. But right now, we are just, we're all about trying to stay focused. I believe that optionality is a problem in our industry, 
Um, once upon a time, we had 10 different finance options. Now we have two finance options and we've been able to be more efficient yep. and we are actually doing more volume with less people because of the automation through Lightspeed. And that's what truly gets exciting. When you look at some of the metrics in the last couple of quarters, I know that we can triple from where we are right now and we will do better than we were a couple years ago when we were a fraction of the size. So with our scale, because of the software, because of the strategy, we don't need to add as many bodies, as much GNA as the company continues to scale, even, even though the volume continues to increase. Correct. We believe as we add gross revenue, we only have to add 20% of GNA because of the automation through Lightspeed. So we think there's tremendous economies of scale. And our true goal is to drive down the cost. So everybody knows philosophically, I am against how everyone operates in this industry. A lot of people in this industry are trying to focus on how to get the customer to pay more for solar. We are the opposite. We are the antithesis of that. We want to figure out a way to drop our costs where we can sell to the customer lower. If we can create first year cost savings in all 50 states, that's how you accelerate the rate of adoption throughout this country. The reality is not everyone is an environmentalist. Yeah. I was not an environmentalist. Most people are going to go solar because they're going to save money. Yeah. The only way to save money is to scale and drive down costs. We are the company that are going to do that. There's a reason why we are in 28 states and no one else is in 28 states. And other people will say they have a map and I'm in 21 states or whatever, but we are in 28 states. We have 39 physical offices. Every single installation is done by a W-2 employee. And that's a key to maintaining the proper customer service. And that's another big problem. You can't go out and use subcontractors to do your installs, in my opinion. You can, but you're gonna have a less than desirable experience and that is going to be problematic. And ultimately, if you don't have a company that is customer centric, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how low your costs are if you're focused on the customer. But ultimately, we are laser focused. I want solar to be sold to the customer at under $2 within three years. If we do that, it will open up all 50 states. Because remember, the next 22 states, we're talking about states that have 11 cent, 10 cent, 9 cent power. We have to significantly decrease our cost to be able to do that, to be able to create first year cost savings in a lot of those markets like Tennessee, Washington, and even parts of Oregon. So through the economies of scale, with, with growing as big as we wanna grow, that's where the cost savings, where our cost per install, cost per watt, however you wanna look at it, is going to go down low enough to where we will be able to go down and compete with utilities in areas where their current utility is, is extremely low, right? That's, that's the plan on the ops side. But what about on the customer acquisition side? There's no W-2 salespeople at Freedom. They're, everybody that works for Freedom, our goal is to get jobs installed. So how do you strategically make sure that you have enough sales coming in? Because the rest of the industry, I think in the EPC world, they have hundreds and hundreds of dealers, small little groups or teams that, you know, they're like, they, they sell customers and then they submit the contracts to the installer. And they, there's hundreds of them, if not thousands. So how is Freedom 
been different in that in that aspect? How does Freedom keep the funnel full of sales? Simply put, we think that model is a mistake and we are the only company that is doing it this way, but we believe that less is more. And so I believe in the last year and a half, we've added one new dealer. So um, we think it's really important to build in the stop the thrash. What I mean by thrash is when you have a thousand dealers, you have so many people fighting over the same customer and it creates a terrible experience. Um, There is other companies that have five different proposals from five different sales dealers to the same customer, even though it's the same installer. That is incredibly dysfunctional. So what we want to try to do is we've created a system where it's kind of a rev share with our sales companies. And when you look at all of our comp models, if you sell at a high price per watt and you sell in layman's terms, high to the customer, we don't want you at freedom. In fact, I want you out of the business, all right? It is unethical. One of the problems we have with our industry industry is the, the customer right. doesn't yep. understand what they are paying for electricity. If you sit down and have a conversation, you say, how much do you pay for your electric? They'll go, I pay $300, but they don't know the kilowatt hour rate that they're being charged. Right but everybody knows what they're paying for gas. So over the next three to five years, as you see the electrification of the motor vehicle industry, everybody is gonna start laser, they're gonna become laser focused on what is the cost of their new gas. It's electricity. So in doing that, we need to be more transparent. And so we need to embrace the fact that there might be lower commissions per project but you should be selling 5X, 10X um, of the amount of projects on a monthly basis. And I really do believe that that is what's going to be transformative. And we know that everything that we do is disruptive. It's the name of the podcast. We talk about it, you know, when you look at the seven pillars that Freedom is built on, one of them is disruption, all right? We are doing it wrong, all right? And we have to fix the way that we are doing it. And it's so frustrating to me is now I have grandkids. I have my first two grandchildren. And if we don't fix this, um, there is not going to be an earth for them to live. Like, like it's bad. And people do not realize what is coming. We have a water crisis that is coming. And a lot of it is just because of the impact of climate change. And we have the, we have the recipe to what I believe to make a massive impact here on the US. And we can't control what China is gonna do, we can't control what the rest of the world is gonna do, but we can control what happens here in the US. And shame on us if we don't put everything together. We have the business model to do it. A lot of people, we sit around and we go, hey, we're in the renewable energy um, industry and we're proud, but we need to now execute. We need to execute and solve this existential crisis that we're facing. And we have this blueprint and we just have to go out and we have to block and tackle and we have to execute our business plan. And that's what gets me excited, you know, to wake up every single day. And a lot of people, um, you know, ask me like, well, what's your plan? What's your exit strategy? I have none. I want to do this until um, my last breath on this earth. I want to make an impact. 
And I've tried to do so many different things from a servant leadership standpoint to try to, I don't want to talk the talk. We have to walk the walk. And um, it's okay that we're going to disrupt how other companies do it. There needs to be more regulation on the sales side. A lot of people are going, oh my gosh, how long is this going to last? Well, we need to regulate it. There is too many bad actors that work in our industry. And we're gonna do everything we can to ferret those companies and those bad actors out of that industry. They give us a bad reputation. Um, Everybody that's in the solar industry that is listening to this have had an experience where you mentioned to somebody, whether you're at a cocktail party, a Christmas party with your family, uh, you're at church and you say, hey, I'm in the solar business and you get someone that scoffs at you. Roll their eyes. All right. And um, we deserve it as an industry. That's the harsh reality of it. I understand being in it now for seven and a half years, all right, that it's warranted. But we have to be the agents of change. We have to be the people that change it. What worries you? You mentioned sales and compliance. What other pitfalls do you think there might be along the way toward between freedom getting to 50% or even just the solar industry in general? One of the things that we're facing right now is what's going on with equipment. And, you know, we talk about generally what's going on with the supply chain, um, but you also have these macro issues around um, disputes with China. Is China using slave labor on different things? And it's just creating havoc in our supply chain. And we've seen an increase in our equipment of 50% over the last nine months. That's crazy. I've never seen anything like that in my business career that one of the core products you have increases by 50%. And so that has been a challenge. With that being said, we will solve that. You have to have faith. Like I'm, you know, it has been incredibly stressful the last nine months with equipment, but we will figure out a way to weather the storm and the large companies like ourselves are very well positioned and we will turn it into a positive and we have turned into a positive. We know several small companies that can't even get panels today and we are not in that position. And so at the end of the day, that will normalize and we just have to focus on making sure that we don't get distracted by anything, the panel, the equipment, all the shortages, the higher costs. And we have to focus on just being more efficient, continue to develop our software and to stay more automated and just to keep growing this thing. So you talk about the 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 economies of, of scale as Freedom is able to continue to drive down our costs. And what it means for the sales reps and the people within freedom and the impact we're having on the environment. What is the potential for the end user, for the actual customer? When you talk about changing people's lives, a lot of times I'm talking about the people that you're serving as a leader, you know, freedom employees. um, But the people we're making the biggest impact for is our customers. Um, As you start getting the cost of solar you know, under 250 a watt, under $2 a watt, you're going to have significant cost savings. Remember, um, the average electric bill goes up by 50% when you add one electric car to a household. So in the next 15 years, everybody's going to add at least two cars. 
So ultimately, it's not only the fact that 96% of the homes in the country do not have solar, but their actual consumption is going to double. So, and I've had friends that have had solar. A lot of times they just, they hear about, you know, what they're doing it. I actually had my wife's friend get solar and, you know, we did it, we got it installed and she got called, she got a call like six months later and she's like, it's like changed our lives. We're saving like $250 a month here in California. Like we couldn't believe it. We knew we might save a little bit of money, but that's not why we did it. That is truly exciting when you get yeah. a call like that. Yep. And remember today, all right, we are installing about 200 customers per day. Jeez. All right, and it seems like a big number, but we need within three years to be doing 75,000 customers a month. That's where we need to be. That will make an impact on climate change. That will get us to probably 15 to 20% of all households having solar on it. It has so much potential, but we have to execute our plan and you know we'll deal with everything that comes at us, but we just need to make sure that every single day that we're working and we're doing it um, from a sales standpoint and from an ops standpoint. Yeah, and and speaking of sales, you mentioned it earlier. We can you know consolidating into less dealers is more. So you've got you know for freedom with our larger dealers like Sunder, Boundless, Caliber. There's a there's been a a recent partnership or strategy um, that Freedom has struck. Tell me a little bit about the smart home partnership with Vivint. Yeah, so you know, one of the things that again has plagued our indus- industry is the inefficiency of the fact that um, most companies have to sell two projects to get one installed. In yeah. fact, you know, based on having several, co- triangulating several conversations with finance companies, we believe that the overall realization rate in the industry is around 45 to 47%. That means out of 100 projects, only 45 to 47 get built. Jeez. All right, the amount of cost associated on the 53 to 55% of the jobs that don't get built, um, where does that go? You don't eat it. Everybody's like, well, the installer eat it, eats it. No, you just bake that into the cost right. and you ultimately charge it in the form of higher baselines or red lines, and ultimately it's charged to the customers that actually get installed. So one of the things that we've said is how do we get to 95% realization rate? We're not there yet, but one of the things is how can we figure out a way, one of the struggles that we have with solar is because of permits and all of the red tape that's out there that it takes 30, 45 days, sometimes 60 days, and some HJs to get installed. If we could figure out a way to commence the construction in a matter of two or three days versus the normal 30 to 60 days, obviously the realization rate would skyrocket. So, you know, we approached um, uh, Vivint Smart Home uh, over a year ago about doing something like that. And including a smart home for free that would be installed about two to three days after the sale. And that has been a massive transformative change to our realization rate. We already were well above the 45 to 47% prior to Vivint Smart Home. Now the numbers are staggering. We are seeing 94% of all of our projects 
all right, uh, where the Vivint Smart Home uh, goes in, we are seeing those projects be completed. We never dreamed it would be that high. And that has given us a significant advantage over the marketplace. And it's been a great partnership and we're excited about the future as we continue to develop it. Yeah, and I think it's stuff like that to just staying on the cutting edge of making sure that we offer the best product offering to the customer, um, to the sales field. So what would be your your message, I guess, or your, um, as we wind this down, what would your invitation be to anybody out there that wants to get in the solar industry or is in the solar industry and wants to make sure they're in the right home? What would you say to them? I would say just be very careful who you do business with. Um, a lot of times, um, you know, you're looking at um, what I can make. All right. And I think you just need to look at it a little bit through a different lens. You need to look at it as what can I do for my customers? All right. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times when people are putting together comp plans, they're always tr- trying to figure out ways to sell high. I would love if somebody figured out a way and they compared comp plans and said, hey, if I sold 10% below market, what would my comp plan be versus other companies? But no one looks yeah. at it that way. They always say, hey, I'm a great salesman. I can sell at 10% above market. And um, I think it's just really a different way of looking at it. And I would make sure that it's stable. There's very few companies out there that are stable and um, that are good installers, that are good people. We have a lot of bad people within our industry and our industry needs to be cleaned up. And I talk about it all the time. I'm not ashamed to say this and it doesn't go against my Christian faith. It is righteous to put the bad actors out of business and we are going to do that. Yeah, you know, in the three years I've been here, I hear a lot of entrepreneurs and, and CEOs say, we wanna change the world and we wanna have a, an impact. And it and it's become kind of cliche, but it, it in the last three years that I've been working with you, I've fully bought into that hype because it's not hype, it's legitimately a possibility here. And it's been very, very refreshing because I've been in the solar industry for over a decade now. And after seeing it done wrong, time and time again, and personally doing it wrong time and time again, being able to finally come across somebody who is doing it the right way, it, it, it was like something clicked. And I, I think that's my hope with this is getting this out to everybody, because I think everyone needs to hear that there is a right way to do this business. This business is not going away. I think a lot of times people think that it's a gold rush or what would your response to those people be? Yes. I mean, um, gold rush, uh, when you, when you use the term gold rush, everybody thinks it's like a short term, like you have to make the money very quickly. And it just, that's just not the case. This is the greatest wealth creation opportunity of my lifetime. So there's no doubt about it. So when you look at what made America, a great country. It was the Industrial Revolution in the late 1800s and the early 1900s. Um, Right now, a lot of that manufacturing has went over to Southeast Asia. We have a chance to kind of remake the United States of America. And um, we need to do that. 
Oil has really controlled the world economy in the last 100 years after the Industrial Revolution. I'm convinced the next 100 years, the world economy will be controlled by renewable energy. And what is so amazing is wow. the stuff that is in a module, um, the raw material is silica. All right. That is in the Earth's crust. That is 13% of the Earth's crust. It's everywhere. It's here in the US. It's here in China. We have to figure out a way to mine it, do everything here physically in the US. And it's just, it's a tremendous, it's like a second chance for the industrial revolution. And we can take back everything that we've sent over to Southeast Asia. But most importantly, like, we're in this incredible space and so many people still don't realize it. Wow. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. He is Brett Bushy. He's the CEO of Freedom Forever, a visionary, uh, breaking the mold and the most brilliant businessman I've ever met. So thank you for joining and uh, just really appreciate everything you do for freedom. And um, yeah, it's it's been a wild ride, but it also feels like we're just getting started. It does. Thank you very much for having me. All right. Thanks. Thanks.